and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film, a new podcast where I have adjusted my camera. I am rocking out uh, a way over expensive setup for a webcam. Uh, we've got a Z cam, we've got an Olympus uh, 7 to 14mm f2.8, and this is all tethered through a phone. So if you wonder why my hands look really big when they get close to the screen, it's because crazy wide angle. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Hey, DJ. Thanks for having me. I'm from a website called... That didn't work. Why didn't that work? Never mind. Planet 5D. <laughs> so you can see today's show will be the technical difficulties show as usual. <laughs> this this is, is just not starting out well, is it? <laughs> no, but sometimes that happens. Uh, if you're wondering what's going on, Mitch and I are on a short schedule today. Both of us are in a hurry and have other engagements. So we're just going to Whip through some news items really quick. I did want to mention this, though. Uh, this guy right here is what's running my webcam right now, and this is the uh, Magewell uh, USB to HDMI adapter. And I was looking for a way to get better video in and actually get some control over my camera. And webcams have just been irritating the heck out of me. And now I have a full-fledged camera for a webcam. Uh, it's very expensive, though. 300 bucks. Do you think that's worth $300 for this tiny little device? Uh, if it works, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm interested to – we'll talk more another time about your setup because I don't think this webcam that I have going on with my iMac really looks very good. And I've tried spending, you know, the top-of-the-line Logitech webcam, which top-of-the-line and Logitech, uh, those don't seem like synonymous words to me, <laughs> but uh, they just don't cut it. And I want to be able to control my ISO, my aperture, all the things that I normally use with a camera. And when you can't do that, it's really frustrating. Um, I am a little jaundiced today, though, so uh, I apologize for my <laughs> white balance setting. This is the first time testing this on the air. So while I say I have control, that control also gives me the option to fail immensely unfortunately since the camera is so far away from me phone apps are the only thing you have to control it now let's move on to the <laughs> news time for the news all right first up on the list here is actually yet another darn action cam this is the mocha cam uh it's a 4k camera it's 99 dollars on indiegogo as opposed to kickstarter which is sort of uh, kickstarter's shady little brother the camera itself is tiny small has a magnet on the back multiple battery options including the option to power it via the extra attachable monitor uh, the camera itself doesn't look to be anything crazy fancy or extraordinary but it is selling like hotcakes. Looks like they're up to six hundred and forty-four thousand dollars. So hundred or one hundred or one thousand two hundred percent over <laughs> their fifty thousand dollar goal. Mitch, what do you think of this camera? Uh, it's funny <laughs> because I watched the video and I just had this gut feeling of this is a scam. I hate to say it. I don't know. Um, I'm sure. I mean, they have some demo video and stuff, uh, but it just it just felt a little icky to me for some reason. And I don't know why you call Indiegogo Kickstarter's uh, lower brother. It's uh, uh, it's so Kickstarter. At least there's a little bit of a mechanism where if you don't reach your threshold, right. you don't get funded. With Indiegogo, right. they have the option to fund you even if you don't reach your goal. Right. So. If you need this much money to accomplish your project and you don't get it, but you still get some of the money, 
how are you going to accomplish your project? <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. why I always thought Indiegogo was a little shifty compared to Kickstarter. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's perfectly fine. This camera, though, looking at it, it's running a uh, Cortex A7, from what I understand, from Sun Plus. So the sensor is provided by Sony. I think this is completely legitimate. I think it is actually going to probably start shipping when they claim February or March of this year, but it's not very impressive. Uh, there are tons of cameras with the same platform uh, built into them. Do you see anything, you know, you said it makes you feel icky. Do you see anything that makes this extraordinary or really makes you think that it's worth $99? No, I... I don't, I don't have a need for it. I mean, it's cheap. Obviously, it's cheap, and and I don't know if you really mentioned it, but 4K is only at 15 frames per second, right? Yeah, which is pretty lame. So no 4K. <laughs> so no 4K really. Uh, and I got a kick out of uh, if you can show the show notes um, the the GIF that they posted for wide angle mode. Uh, is it me or is this just wacky? I mean, they show normal angle and wide angle, and they look virtually identical except for the fact that the wide angle has a curve to it. I mean, it's the same virtual view. You can see a tiny little bit more on the right-hand side, but the left-hand side is the same. The top is virtually the same. The bottom even shows less, so I, I don't know. I mean, normal and wide angle usually have more of a difference to me. Yeah, looking at this, uh, vignetting in the sides, distortion, and that's about it, really. doesn't look yeah. like it's showing much more. <laughs> so wide angle isn't really wide angle. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. That's, that's part of the thing that bothered me about it when I saw it. So I don't know. Well, if you want to find out more about this, uh, swing over to the show notes and click on the Mocha Cam link. It's on Indiegogo. There are still a few $99 items left. Uh, not super exciting. Moving on down the line to the JVC, because we're moving fast today through the show notes. This is the JVC LS300. We've talked about this multiple times, but the interesting thing now is that the price has dropped. It's gone from 4000 to 3500 You can find that on both B&H and Amazon. Mitch, does that make this a more attractive camera? No. No, because it's not a DSLR. It's not attractive at all. <laughs> Wait a minute. I feel like this is a grown-up DSLR because it has XLR inputs, all the video features, and an interchangeable lens. Oh, well, but it's not a DSLR because it doesn't have the DSLR form factor. It looks like a video camera, which now, is cool. Have we Don't ever kidding. discussed form factor, Mitch? Uh, probably, but do you... I love... Go ahead. Do you Ask love me. the form factor of your DSLR for video shooting? It doesn't bother me. Um, I know a lot of a lot of purists get really wacky and go, "Well, it doesn't have the right form factor." And I understand if you're doing a lot of filmmaking, uh, it's it it's a different shape. But most filmmakers put their camera go gear on a tripod, right, or a rig. True. Um, and they kit it out with monitors and handles and. Uh, cages and battery packs and everything else. So what the hell does the shape of the camera matter at that point? Not, not, zero, nada. Okay. I, again, I like the DSLR because I shoot a lot of stills 
and I shoot video, so I'd like to have the ability to do both. Uh, video cameras, for whatever reason, I, don't, I still, here's a rant for you. Why don't video cameras allow you to take stills? It's just a little software function, right? True. Why don't they ever add that? Why don't they become dual purpose? Okay, so they don't have a shutter that's really fast. Okay, maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, but electronic shutter, I mean, they can read from the sensor no matter what. So yeah. That, yeah. that's a very simple solution. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to have a button. And I think a few cameras do have the option to just take a still. Or I, I suppose you could pull a still from a 4K image if you really wanted to, although that's yeah. not ideal. Uh, for me, form factor-wise, I do like the lightness of a DSLR, but I do miss the controls and some of the inputs and features of a full-frame camera. You know, like uh, having a handle on top is really nice, but I, I can add that to my DSLR. Uh, having XLR inputs is nice, but I can add that to my DSLR. The only thing is, is as you add, the clunkier your DSLR becomes. So if you can get it into a package like with the GH4 where I can just plug audio in, put it in hot shoe and go, that's great. But when I need to run two or three mics into it and I need to mix some stuff and I, you know, I want to add a few extra things, suddenly it becomes as big as a video camera. And then I'm just kind of wishing that I had the convenience of not having cables all over the place. Yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation, and, and we can debate Mac and PC all you want. <laughs> all right, so LS300 hot or not, Mitch? Uh, it looks great. Sold. Buy one through DJ's link. <laughs> Buy one today. All right, moving on down the line <laughs> as we fly through the show because we're trying to get this under a half an hour here. We've got the Aperture Airy. This is, we saw this at NEB, I believe, right. Mitch, and uh, now it is officially out and for sale. Five ninety nine is the price tag on this guy. A very decent 60 gigahertz transmitter that's able to send HDMI pretty fast with a very low latency between your camera and your monitor. Now, wireless monitors have been the dream of a lot of people, but how often do filmmakers need them if it's just a one-man show? Uh, it's a very good question. Let me, let me correct you slightly. Cause you know, I love to do that. <laughs> uh, it's called the array trans is the brand is the product name. The Ray trans. Why Ray they trans? Hey, Ray. Ray. Did I, oh man, is this a DJ reading error? I just glanced yeah. over it and saw airy and Ray. went with That's that. Okay. But array. and I, I'm, I'm not trying to say you don't know your shit because you do. Oops. Oh, sorry. Um, but it is called the Array Trans, and the thing that that they really advocated a lot at NAB is zero latency. Now, I haven't seen this live production version yet. Um, it just came out, but as you found. And the guys at uh, Aperture are really excited about this, and they're talking about sending us one to try out. Uh, as a solo shooter, you're right. I don't particularly need it very often. Uh, it would be nice, for example, if I were wanting a large monitor and I could just attach it to my TV or something if I needed something. But typically, I don't need something like this. I think the, the filmmakers will, especially people 
if you have a director or or a, or a client on set needs something that's external and as long as the latency is low especially for a focus puller you want that but it looks cool we're we're curious to see how well it works i wonder you know when they say zero latency i, I mean i know that's technically not possible because you have transmitters and receivers <laughs> and signals have to move through the air at x number you know feet per second per second so it's probably very, very low latency. I would guess less than a frame would be where they would call that zero latency. Does that sound accurate to you, Mitch? Yes. Um, and it's and it's curious because I, when, when they were demoing it at NAB, uh, it seemed to be just a hair behind. I mean, and, and again, whether it's one, two, or three frames, I don't know. It's It's probably close enough for anybody to really be able to use it how 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 close i mean can you tell one frame off uh, sometimes yeah it's probably it's tough. pretty Most, tough and i and i would expect maybe you who spends a boatload of time looking at video and audio and thinking and and everything else but if you if you're using it for a director for example he's not gonna know he's he's you know, not a director, but a customer or something. Anyway, I, I'm interested to see how well it works. Uh, it could be useful for many people. I don't have a need for one in what I do, but. Where I think this is a, an interesting choice is the price. Um, something in this category before, I think you had the Arrow. Uh, that was around twelve or $1,300 or more. And that was the closest competitor. Now they're coming in at five ninety nine. In the show notes, I kind of linked to the StarTech solution, and there are several of these very affordable sub three hundred dollar HDMI transmitters. The issue with these units is that uh, there is quite a bit of delay between them. Uh, we're talking, you know, ten or fifteen frames where it's very noticeable that what you're looking at and what you're seeing on the screen are happening at two different times, but. I started thinking about the applications that I would use this for. And generally, if I'm, if I'm using a focus puller and I have someone walking around with a rig, they have their own dedicated kit that moves pretty fast. You know, they have a monitor, everything taken care of for me, so I don't have to provide anything. But what I usually need is a monitor for someone that's sitting over in the distance that just wants to see what the image is going to look like. Right. And for that, you know... I still think the uh, I think the aperture unit looks nicer, and it doesn't have as many dongles hanging off of it. And at five ninety nine, I think I would actually spend the extra three hundred bucks, as opposed right. to going with a solution similar to this. Even if there is latency or no latency with these units, you have to attach external power, go with uh, you know adapters and so on. And so if you hand this off to somebody, I mean, it's gonna look pretty hokey. <laughs> well, and I, I noticed, and I this is not a market that I have paid a lot of attention to, uh, but if you notice the StarTech thing, some of the reviews are from like 2013. Uh, so they've been around a while. It's not like they're brand new products, uh, which I wasn't aware of before, obviously, because I don't have a need for this kind of thing. But The uh, um, guy that makes the Arrow, um, he worked for another company 
back in 2012 or 2011 that was producing consumer-grade, lower-priced uh, wireless transmitters, and he thought he could do it better than some of the more expensive ones and still save on price, and he did. The Arrow is a fantastic wireless transmitter if you ever rent one. They're, they're great, but uh, the companies that were making the lower-end ones have been making you know units that'll transmit 50 or 100 feet for in the $200 price range. They're just very flaky, and there's quite a bit of delay in those units. Uh, all of them are using the same chipset. So check those out if you're interested in wireless transmitters. I, of myself... Know, of course you would know what chipsets are inside these things. Well, that's the interesting thing about the all these action cams coming out. Um, they're all, they all started coming out at about the same time. And that's because uh, the sensor from Sony that's being produced is really common and easy to get your hands on. And the board that comes with the A7 chip set from Sun Plus is very common. So you can go pick those up for like 20 bucks. And then oh. you just have to develop your own lens, which you don't have to develop your lens now because you can go to another company and get a lens. So basically the only thing you have to do is come up with an app, which I'm sure you can clone someone else's app, and <laughs> uh, you know a package of some kind, some kind of enclosure and claim that it's waterproof and bam you're good to go you've got yourself a action camera and actually uh gopro if if you followed the moves of gopro over the years there was a company that manufactured their board as well as the chipset and the sensor that goes along with that and you could see what the next gopro would have based on the release from this company so you just watch their press release for the latest board and chipset that would come out, and you'd see what the chip was capable of, and you could kind of figure GoPro would have most of those specs built into the next unit. So it's it's become that commoditized now that uh, action cams are really easy to build, and it's only a matter of time before DSLRs and other cameras go that same route, don't you think? Well, you and I have talked several times about how DSLRs ought to have an iOS or an Android kind of operating system. And if, if you were to make it of components like that, it certainly would be a lot more flexible and you'd be able to do more post-processing kind of, they're not post-processing, but app kind of settings and, you know, how many apps are out there to shoot photos on your iPhone. And they all have different functionality and different filters and all those kind of things to make them unique. I just, I just wish more of the DSLR companies would, would do something like that. Now, the caveat, of course, you know, and I tend to start talking long-windedly, uh, the caveat there is, is Canon, for example, is, is always poo-pooed uh, Magic Lantern because they're afraid that that's going to brick the camera or cause it not to function, in which case they're going to get a whole bunch of customer service complaints or questions. Uh, and so... You know, the more you do things in in flaky software, uh, even on iPhones or Androids, you end up with a lot more complaints about the functionality, and that's what Canon doesn't want is complaints. They want high-quality, happy customers, right? That's true. Uh, it is frustrating, though, when especially when you find out that your device can do a bunch of stuff and they're just not well, yeah. letting you do it. 
Uh, oh yeah, the great exhibit of, of Sony's uh, higher end cameras. You know, they use the same chipset across the board, and some of their lower end was it the FS7, Mitch? Do you remember that was capable of shooting 4K, but they had disabled it, and it was simply an XML edit that goes onto the memory card in order to turn that feature on. I mean, yep. oh, man, and I know that companies have to dis- differentiate their product lines from one step to the other, but it's kind of frustrating that they do that it's, sort of thing it, it's not a new thing by the way uh someday i'll tell you some stories by my my uncle who used to work for a major computer company which i won't name because i don't want to get anybody in trouble but one quick story is that he told me that they used to have a printer that sold for ten thousand bucks or something and they they would uh you know be able to add a feature to it for another two grand and the service tech would come out and flip a switch on the inside it would take <laughs> 20 seconds a minute and a half to open the thing up and then flip a switch and then that functionality would be there and then you know they'd charge you two thousand bucks for that so it's and this was from the 70s and 80s so it's not something new companies have been doing this for a long time all right, last thing on the list as we fly <laughs> through the show notes. This is probably one of the fastest shows Mitch and I have ever done. Uh, we've got the D5. Now, this camera has yet to be released, and already there's rumors of a firmware update. This comes from NikonRumors.com. The D5 is expected to have a firmware update that will bring you from three minutes of recording, which we were complaining about uh, a few episodes ago, to 30 minutes what? of recording. Complain? So, 30 Never. minutes of recording, Mitch. Does that mean that it's probably not a sensor heating issue that they were having problems with? Well, you and I talked about that at the time, and you questioned whether or not it was a sensor heating issue. And, of course, my uh, comparison was the 1DX or the 1DC, which Canon has, which does plenty of recording. Um and the supposition or the question was that if you did the HDMI out, uh, would you be able to send it to a recorder and have the sensor be open for longer than three minutes? Was it just an internal recording issue? I don't know. It it, it for them for them to issue a firmware update that quickly just slays me. It, it and if it was. I mean, maybe it was a programming error, right? I mean, we could consider that it was a programming error that they finally just went, oh, well, maybe we should fix that. It does sort of seem like maybe someone just left a zero out when they were coding and thought, oh, <laughs> well, no one, we'll just issue this, no problem. No one will even care. Three minutes, yeah. 30 minutes, they're close enough. Well, if you test it and it's really two minutes and 59 seconds, then we'll know, right? Because yeah. that would mean there was a decimal point off or somebody left off the nine or whatever. Anyway, I don't know. It's 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 kind of crazy that Nikon would have that kind of an issue. But Now, the other question for you, Mitch, does that make this a more interesting release? Because it's already a good, well, it already appears to be a very good stills camera uh, with the 30-minute feature. Now it's pretty well-rounded as a video camera as well. Does this compete pretty hand over hand with the uh, Canon offering? I think based on the video that we've seen, except for the time-lapse issue, which we talked about, <laughs> uh, 
and and I don't know if I told you, but I posted that on Planet 5D not long after you and I talked about it, and I I referred back to the DSLR Film New podcast and pointed that out. But uh, again, we have to physically see the actual results out of a real camera. It looks pretty impressive. The issue still for most people is the price range. I mean, it's six thousand, seven thousand bucks. You can get a lot better camera. I won't say better. I can't say better. Uh, you can get a less expensive camera that can probably do just as well video shooting. Just as well? Oh, God. Okay, this shows up. <laughs> I think uh, where you're going is the A7 line of cameras from Sony provide yeah. 4K internal shooting. Uh, they're decent stills cameras, although I will argue that their AF is still not there, and the lens selection for FE mount lenses is just not as good as what's available right. for Nikon. And Nikon has some really great glass, but yep. if you're willing to put up with those shortcomings as far as autofocus and lens selection, and yes, a number of you are going to write in and say, DJ, wait, there are tons of glass or tons of lenses that can be adapted to the A7 line based on adapters, and that's true. You can put your Canon glass on there. You can put your Nikon glass on there, but you're not going to get AF. You're not going to get all the features that you want out of those lenses. And when you do get AF, it's going to be sloppy and slow and not nearly as good as perfected AF systems like Nikon and Canon are offering. Uh, still, if you want the best, you pay <laughs> six or seven grand and bam, you got it. So probably professional market. Maybe as the price falls off into the my market, I suppose. <laughs> well, but that's going to take one, two, three years for it to really fall off. Well, I don't know. It, I thought I thought that at first too, but you've seen the one DC continue to yeah. sort of like dive down in price, and Very on true. the on the used market, I've seen it as low as as three and a half grand. And at that price, that's what I paid for my uh, 5D Mark III years ago. I would yep. be more, well, I, I'm not more than willing to drop three grand at a random <laughs> purchase, but that may, that, that to me means, well, at that price, you know, do I want one? Okay, maybe. And it happened with the uh, D800 and the D810. The prices dropped from uh, initially, I think, 3500 all the way down to 2000 for the gray market pricing, and even lower for use pricing. I can't imagine that the D5 is going to be able to demand that high of a price for very long with all the competition out there. I think I mentioned this on a, on a previous show, but one of the things I used to tell people was that buying DSLRs was like renting them, actually, because you typically could... They buy it for three thousand dollars and sell it for a minimum of like two grand. Uh, typically, it was even higher than that for a long time. You could you could get maybe twenty five hundred for many of the cameras. Uh, anyway, and if you and if you used it for a year or two years, then you would be basically renting it for a while. Obviously, you had the capital outlay at front, but. If you turned around and sold it, then it would be basically an effective rental, uh, which is cheaper than paying rental house prices because they, they they want their money back quickly. But that's no longer true, is it? I mean, in this market, if you buy a 5D Mark III at three grand and turn around 
two or three years later and it's only worth a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred bucks on the used market, you're you're really losing fifty percent of your value is not common in the DSLR market, at least the way it used to be. Lenses still hold their value. My yes. You know, all my L series glass, I you know paid around a thousand for each of the lenses, and all of those will sell for around a thousand. So that's pretty good as long as you take care of them. But right here, I'm holding up my 5D Mark III, and I have two of these guys. One of them I paid full price for, and not more than eight months later, I paid less than two thousand for another one. So that's ridiculous. And the only reason the price actually went back up on the 5D Mark III was when Magic Lantern released the raw hack for the 5D Mark III, which provided a little bit of enthusiasm and brought this back up to 3000 Now, I got really lucky. I do not have two 5D Mark III's anymore. I only have one. And that's because when the price went back up, I sold mine at a profit, Mark. Uh, you Mark. know, and and switched over to uh, GH4 stuff. So I, I was able to spend that $3,000 I got out of the camera on a bunch of lenses, the GH4 body, and so on. But normally, you know, that's not the case. And now if you look at 5D Mark III prices on eBay, they're in the tank, man. Uh, this yep. is not going to be a viable make-money resale option for me. Now, the camera's <laughs> earned me tons of money, so I have Before no complaints. What the heck is the lens on the front of that thing? Oh, this guy? Have you never seen one of these? No. Okay, so uh, this will be the last thing before we close out the show, because then I, Mitch and I both have appointments to get to. But this right here is a lens cap that is also a lens. So oh. if you look at the inside right here, you'll see that yeah. there's just a little lens element. And it's not a fancy lens. It's a manual focus, uh, wide-angle lens. And you change the aperture by clicking this. Huh. over right here they're like 20 bucks huh. and it's you know the widest aperture is f5 6 and then closed but uh what's really cool about this is if you see something and you have a lens cap on your body you can just quickly snap a picture off it may not be the best picture right but you got a picture of something and it's it's helped me out a few times where it's like uh there was a truck on fire on the road and i'm driving <laughs> by and my camera's sitting there but there's no lens on it's just a lens cap so Take a picture. Huh. I, I got the picture of the thing. It's kind of cool. You know, you don't see that very often. Or, you know, I had a squirrel climb up on a rock and sit on my leg. And you can't <laughs> just, oh, here, let me get uh, lenses. <laughs> yeah, let me get my lens on there real quick. Hold still, squirrel. No, you just quickly reach over, get your picture, and go. So cool. they're super cheap, uh, 20 bucks, I believe. And I'll see if I can't get a link to this in the show notes for you. But, uh, Really cool. I keep them on all my bodies just because of that sort of handy feature. Cool. A new tip that we've never heard from DJ. Oh, man. If you could look around the studio, you would see all kinds of like, what's that laying yeah. about? All it's right. Always good to talk about. On that note, guys, that was our quick, short, and dirty show. Thanks, Mitch, for sneaking in between appointments. Myself, I am heading off. Can I mention two things really fast? Yes. Number one, uh, Teaser coming up in early February is going to be an announcement about a director's two-day online webinar that you and I both know about, but we can't tell what the link is yet. But I wanted to tease people because that's going to be really awesome. It's going to be free. And we're also going to do a webinar on February 2nd on Planify D about 4K. If you want to tune into that, that's coming up. I'll announce that next week on Planify D. 
Both of those sound awesome, and we will definitely talk about them in future shows. On that note, guys, we are going to get out of here. Mitch, where can people find you? Planet5D.com. Thank you. And of course, guys, you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and anywhere podcasts are distributed. You can find me on... What's that? I said rate us. I'm I'm doing background subliminal marketing. Rate us. Market market us. Market us. You messed up my ramble there. All right. We'll see you next time on another episode of DSLR, the Film Noob Podcast. (laughs)